But uh, I just want to take a moment to say thank you. Uh, on a personal note, today marks my 18th year as your pastor. Oh, yes, we were all younger then. Um, I remember a pulpit, a coat and tie. We were different. 18 years ago, um, the Lord blessed me and that he allowed me enough time to get beyond my fears and in, uh, insecurities. Uh, I want to say thank you to that, that team originally. I know uh, Jeff and Kate, and I can't remember, Scott, and I can't remember who else, uh, Miss Barbara, and I can't remember. There were, I know there was more, but that team, that original team, the pastor search committee that I so graciously and greatly sandbagged. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you're new to us, it took me six months for God to convince me that he was able. Uh, and uh, so we are, we are so thankful to be here. We th we're thankful to be a part of this fellowship, much less to be a part of the leadership team. And uh, 18 years goes by really quick. I've heard the old military folks say that time flies when you have good duty. And uh, if the Lord wills, another 18 would be okay by me. So, but thank you each and every one uh, for your love and your support and your friendship and all the things that go in to making the little ALF something special. So uh, that being said, let's get on with it. So if you're, have anybody here know what continuing education units are? Yeah, don't you love those? Uh, that is where they make you go to school. So continuing education units, uh, you'll find a lot of professionals will be required to do this. And I thought I would take the next two weeks and do a, continually, a continuing education units for us as pastors. Uh, and so I, I hope that you enjoy this. I hope that you learn something from this. If I'm being completely authentic, uh, this was a little challenging for me because I'm talking about my job. And when I'm talking about my job, and then, you know, we talk about the challenges of my job, then it sounds a little like you're, you know, pandering or something. So I just want you to know, this has been really difficult for me, but I think it's good. It's good for you. It's good for me. And Josh is here to critique me in case there's anything that doesn't seem quite right. Chuck also. So let's, let's get on with it. So what do pastors <laughs> really do? I remember some years ago, my niece, as sweet as she is, says, Uncle Jimmy, what do you do during the week? And I said, well, what do you mean? What I work? She goes, well, doing what? Now, you know, now there, there, was, there was no barb to her. It was a completely loving, innocent question. And, and quite honestly, that might be a question a lot of people have because, you know, what, what do we do? Uh, others ask this and they're, they're, you know, but what, what do pastors do all week? I mean, you know, just go to coffee houses and you know, that kind of stuff. Well, now we are known to go to a coffee house. I went to the one, the new one downtown and the next night, the Lord blew half the wall off. I don't know. I right, listen, I'm just saying the Lord might be chasing me. Oh man, I thought I had him there. So I don't know, but but over the next couple of weeks, I want us to, to look at the role of pastor, and uh, I hope I, one is I want to 
to refocus, to refresh, and to recommit to my role and, uh, as pastor, but also to help you understand a little bit more about what your pastors do and or other pastors. And today, don't let me finish because I forgot to put, put it in here before I submitted it. We want to pray for our sister churches, Highland Terrace and Ridgecrest, because they're currently looking for a new pastor. And um, it's not as easy as you may think, you know. So anyway, let's get on with it. So, <clears throat> Dr. McIntosh, wouldn't you like that name? Everybody would think you're wealthy. Oh, this is Dr. McIntosh. Oh, you know. But uh, he's a distinguished professor of Christian ministry and leadership at Talbot and Biola Universities. And he wrote this book, The, key, the, the Ten Key Roles of a Pastor. And uh, this is a part of my Lenten celebration. And it's, it's a great book. It's, he writes it very well. And especially for someone going into ministry, but even for myself, it's a great uh, refresher course. And so uh, some of the remarks and some of the information we will have gleaned from, from his work. From the viewpoint of some, the pastor works only Sundays and Wednesdays. I want you to know... Any other day, I'm billing you double time. And if I have to work on Thursday, yeah, that's triple time. Christmas Eve, you can't afford me. But many people think that, and, and you know, okay, I get it, you know. Um, it's like professional football players. If you're not careful, you think, well, they only work on Sundays. Well, that's not true. Um, <clears throat> Dr. McIntosh says this, my research shows that pastors work an average of 63 hours a week on various aspects. <coughs> Excuse me. It's been nice knowing you. <coughs> Next. <coughs> However, what a pastor actually does during the time is complex, subtle, and difficult to express. It is. When you say, what do you do? Well, you know, um, there's a lot of things. So here's some free stuff. I got to get this out. Look to somebody and go, he's about to depress us. Bring it. And, and then look to the other side and go, but it's okay. He'll bring us back up. Ministry is a difficult job. Amen. Where's Josh? Huh. Okay. Hey, Chuck, ministry is a difficult job, isn't it, brother? Let's look. Over the past 25 years, the average age of pastors have climbed uh, uh, from 44 to 54. That's, now you go, well, that's, kind of, that's, that's not a good thing. What that means is there's not as many younger men coming into ministry. That's, could be, you know, that's a thing. In March of 2022, one year ago, the percentage of pastors who had considered quitting full-time ministry within the past year sat at 42%. Well, that's a lot. Uh, let me just say that I'm not counted among that. Uh, but, you know, but uh, the church answers uh, says that the average tenure of a pastor, this is all denominations, all pastoral leadership, is three to four years. Now, in, other, in, in certain strata, it's even less than that. The statistics indicate that the average, uh, indicate that on average 250 pastors leave the ministry every month. And um, I, I know a, a lot of former pastors. Barner Report says that stress, isolation, political division are some of the issues factoring into pastors' uh, desire to quit. Uh, stress, well, are you stressed? No. 
uh, isolation. I know you say, how can you, but that's a true thing. And then political division. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about polity in the church, but this also applies to politics outside the church. And I will say this right here, right now, brothers and sisters, we must always leave man's politics at the door. Because in God's house, we're one family. We are members of God's kingdom, first and foremost. That's an aside. 50% of marriages of pastors fail. You go, is that? Ministry's hard. All right, let's start building you back up now that I've depressed you. We wear many hats, hence the hats. Yes, all of these hats are my hats. They're not all of the hats that I own. Uh, I do not have my my Russian shopka here, bitch, by the way, I look really great in. Uh, Yeah. But uh, the... Uh, and then, you know, here's my For the City hat, you know, as a founding member of For the City. You should, I met someone last week, and they were wearing a shirt like yours, said For the City. I said, man, I like that shirt. They go, oh, man, we love that minister. They go, do you know anything about it? I, and, I, and I said, not a little. <laughs> and then uh, I, I can't remember the name of this hat, but that's from Kyrgyzstan. That's, you know. But this hat, Jeff, you remember this hat, don't you? This hat was purchased in the first uh, 18 months of our ministry together. Because I was affectionately called the big sombrero. (laughs) This is from Mexico. Uh, I paid a high price to buy this hat. And um, and and yes, the, 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 the big sombrero. I wear a lot of hats. Pastors wear a lot of hats. So let's look at those. The first one, the speaker's hat. Pastors wear the speaker's hat when they preach, speak at events, or in some way address others. The Apostle Paul says this, I did not shrink from declaring you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purposes of God. Later, Paul exhorted Timothy to preach the word. And a command that has been taken to heart by all pastors ever since. The speaker hat is the most visible worn. Why? Because this is what you see me do most of the time. Now, how many of you have seen me speak outside of our church setting? Okay. Well, <laughs> all right. How many of you have not gone somewhere when you see my name on the schedule to speak? The speaker's hat for a pastor is the most well-known. Why? Because we do it consistently and publicly, and, uh, and it's what we're most known for. To be effective, we must know God. And you say, well, that seems like a given. Well, we must know God through a personal relationship, and in that, we must be confident in the gospel. My friends, as a pastor, you must be confident in the message in which you're proclaiming. You must be confident in the life and in the lifestyle in which you're seeking to live. A pastor who is not confident in the word of God, in the processes of God, in the power of God, in the promises of God, is not going to be an effective pastor. Because if he doesn't believe it, guess who else won't believe it? You! Secondly, through knowing God's desires. (coughs) Do I know everything about God? No. But through prayer and study and conversation, a pastor seeks as best we can 
to know and to, uh, and to understand what God wants. You know, I shared with you that many years ago when we were looking for a new campus and it seemed like every door in this town had closed, I thought, God, I had missed him. I, I thought I had missed what God was saying and that was a very difficult time for me. Uh, but God had something better than what I expected, amen? Through sharing God's desires with others. Sharing God's desires with others. Barna's data says this, that just 50, 57% of all U.S. adults agree, at least somewhat, that's the important word, somewhat, that a pastor is a trustworthy source of wisdom. Wow. Somewhat. somewhat. Guess what? There are people in churches who think the pastor is somewhat trustworthy. That is problematic. If you do not trust your pastor because you feel he is untrustworthy, that's on him. Now, if you do not trust your pastor because you don't want to do what your pastor say, well, you could put that in your pocket and take it home with you. <clears throat> For many people, there is, this is the only hat that he ever see wearing. Well, what's Jimmy do? Well, he preaches. What else does he do? I don't know. Drink coffee? It's okay. It's, it's understandable. Pastoring and preaching go together like peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter, jelly time. Peanut, that's right. But let me tell you this. The pulpiteer and the pastor is not the same gift. Just because someone makes a good pastor mean, it doesn't mean that they necessarily are a good pulpiteer. And just because someone can teach the wallpaper off the wall doesn't necessarily mean that they're a good pastor. They don't have shepherding skills. So for those two to go together, yes, they, they, you hope that they do, but it's not an, it's not an assumed. Uh, I've got friends, man, just the greatest preachers, but when it comes to public, you know, when it comes to skills with people, <laughs> a little challenging and vice versa. Uh, but they're not the same gift. Speaking is an important aspect of any pastor's ministry, but it's only the first hat on the rack of many. I love what Richard Baxter said, uh, pastor of the, of the 1600s. I preach as, not, as never sure to preach again and as dying as a dying man to dying men. I want you to know this. Every time I teach to you, I wonder if this will be the last time. Because one time it will be. And that's why it's very important to me that what I say to you is worth lasting. Because if this is the last time, these are the words you may remember the most. Preaching is important. We have the captain's hat. The captain's hat is worn when the pastor is pointing the church toward the future. Oh, yes, you remember, don't you, Jeffrey? Woo, where are we going? We don't know. If we only knew where we were going, we'd have written a book. We'd have had a lot of money. We didn't know. We were just making our way in the world. You know it is something when the new pastor at the first business meeting says, hey, would you please cut my salary in half? That's historically accurate. But uh, who is the leader of the church? Let me get a sip. And let me make this point perfectly clear. <clears throat> Jesus is the leader of the church. He builds the church, Matthew 16 says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus builds the church. Secondly, he alone is the head of the church. 
as lead pastor, I am an under-shepherd. I am not the shepherd. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over what? Everything and everyone in the church. Thirdly, uh, and, when, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will see, receive a crown of glory that will never fail. Jesus is the shepherd. I and Josh and Chuck, we're just under shepherds, privileged to be. But never, ever doubt who the head of the church is. And anytime anyone in the position of pastor looks like, sounds like, or makes the mistake of claiming that position, walk, no, 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 run away. Amen. Run away. So, <clears throat> church governance. So, one of the challenges as in the pastoral role is the governance of the church. Believe it or not, we have, it's a business. If you lay aside the spiritual things, this is a corporation with multi-millions of dollars in assets and things. This is business. <clears throat> and church governance sometimes can be a source of <clears throat> need of antacids. So in the church, there's really four predominant ways in which church governance takes place. There's the congregational rule, and uh, you see that? That's when the church votes on everything. Oh, Lord, help me. When I used to sit in on business meetings, when they would debate on whether we bought a box of four light bulbs or a whole case of light bulbs. For the love of Pistol Pete Maravich, just buy the bulbs. <laughs> do we buy a six-pack or Charmin or do we? Listen, not walking in the dark and having toilet paper, those are pretty high priorities. Just look back at COVID. You have the board, which that means there's a, a group that, that does the overseeing and the direction. You have a team, and, and then you have the pastor-led. Now, the pastor-led is, is when the pastor is, well, <laughs> the pastor is where the buck stops. And, uh, and, and sometimes that can be a little challenging because sometimes the pastor may say, hey, get in line or get out. I mean, you know, uh, it could be tough. I want to say right here, right now, that I am thankful for the men and the, the pastors who preceded me because they laid into place uh, the planks in which we, we have built upon. And I believe our church has found a beautiful balance. I think you could take... Uh, and and we, this isn't about church governance, but I believe that we have struck a beautiful balance. And uh, I have, I'm going to confess to you, I am prejudiced, you know. So, uh, but when you can spend eight hundred thousand dollars on a piece of property and the vote's unanimous, that's pretty good. I had someone Fish is buying the old furniture store there on O'Neill and Wesley. And Wally w was with me the other day, and he goes, man, he goes, I just don't know how you could spend $600,000. I go, oh, it's easy. <laughs> he said, I'm just kind of feeling the weight on my shoulder. I said, wait till they put the keys in your hand. I said, that's when stuff gets real. And you remember that, Jeffrey? Slid those old janky keys over to us. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it was glorious, but it was terrifying. I have concluded, and I believe it's true, that any 
type of governance, whether it's man's governance or church governance in whatever form, rises and falls on the character and the spirituality of the people inside of it. Amen? Amen. Listen, it rises and it falls on the character and the spiritual temperature of the people trying to work together. When pastor wears the captain's hat, they're responsible for four major actions. One, define purpose, direction, and meaning. Simple church, simple truth, simple faith, simple church. Woo! I like that. Generate and sustain trust. If you don't trust me, you're not going to follow me. But it's not just you that needs to trust me. Who else? The community. The church's effectiveness rises and falls on the trustworthiness of its leadership in the community. If the community thinks your pastor is a scallywag, they're not interested in coming to your church. And I want you to know, this is one of the highest priorities in my life. That I would never say, do, or otherwise something that you would be embarrassed about out there, much less in here. Number three, promote optimism and hope. You can do it. Can we do it? You can do it. I remember when I first arrived in this wonderful family and, and you know, we were just at a season. And I said, listen, man, God doesn't have any small churches. God, we got a big God and he's got big churches and God's going to do great things with us and through us. We have reason to be optimistic, don't we? We have a reason to hope. And the pastor can, gets to be the head cheerleader sometimes. Uh, convert purpose, trust, and hope into action and results. Got to build you up to get you going. Amen. And if you're not going, let's go. This isn't is a country club. You don't get to come here and watch everyone else play golf. Let's go. The coach's hat is worn when the pastor is inspiring others to be the best they can be in life and ministry. Wearing the coach's hat has a lot of uh, responsibilities. One, he observes. You know, Jeff, you remember when you were coaching your kiddos? And he'd just watch them, just critiquing all the time, right? Just watching. And I just want you to know, I'm so glad for Facebook and Twitter and all those things. You know why? Because I can watch you. Oh, and I do. Just know. You just know when you post that, even if Pastor Jimmy doesn't respond, oh, I see it. He observes, he corrects. You know, that's a hard thing to do sometimes, isn't it? You know what? People need to know how much you love them before they're willing to take correction. If all you do is correct because you want to gripe, that's problematic. But as a pastor, one of our roles is to correct, to explain, to help us better understand things, to ask questions. How about this one? You think you really want to do that? To encourage others and inspire others to be the best they can be. That's, a, that's a, one of the fun, important uh, challenging hats to be the coach. The coach hat, coach's hat is the third one on the rack. As a coach, the pastor is responsible to get others to play the game as well as possible. I want you to have everything possible in your spiritual life. I want your cup to be overflowing. I want your closet of blessings to be so full, much like your children's. You just tape the door closed because you can't get the hinges to stay in or you just go in a different room because you can't stand to look at it anymore. 
Coach John Wood, that wonderful man, says this, a good coach can change a game. A great coach can change a life. Amen? I want to be in the life-changing business. Number four, the executives had, is Warren, when managing people, programs, and expenditures. Expenditures. That means math and money, of which I don't care for either of them. Let's look. The Bible labels church leaders as elders, overseers, shepherds, far more than it speaks of them as managers, leaders, and administrators. At the core of their role, church leaders are to guard the sheep. Let's look what Acts has to say. Keep watch over yourselves, that means us as individuals, and all of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Guess what? There are wolves in the world, amen? We have an adversary, and we have people who are unlearned, unintelligible, and just sometimes plain mean. How could people be so mean sometimes? I don't know. Verse 30, and even from your own number, men will assail and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Not only do you protect from what's out there, but sometimes you got to protect from what's in here. Devil, come to church. Verse 31, so be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Jesus is the chief shepherd we provide the, who provides the ultimate protection. Nevertheless, he commands shepherd the flock of God among you. First Peter tells us this, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Over shepherds, we do it because we want to, even with the price. It's well worth the price. It's the greatest privilege. Not lording it over those entrusted you, but being what? Examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Pastor's first role is to be an example. Not a perfect example, but an example. Whether out there or in here, it is my deepest desire, and I know it's Josh's, and I know it's Chuck's, I know it's Jeff's, I know it's our deacons, to be examples that you can look to and you go, that's the kind of person I want to strive to be. Pastors protect the flock from false teaching by preaching and teaching correct doctrine. I had a conversation once, I had a lot of conversations a few years ago, and it all circled around this. Well, Jimmy, why does doctrine really matter? A Duh. Wait, that's not right. Is Is that right? Okay. Why does doctrine matter? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't even have time. I just thank God for what I didn't say. 
But the pastor's role is to teach the flock properly. And doctrine does matter. Pastors protect the flock from selfishness and isolation by focusing on outreach and evangelism. If you're not careful, the church gets eye disease. And all you talk about is I, I, I. And guess what? You're on the road to D-E-A-D. Part of the pastor's role is to make sure that we do not become selfish and inward-sighted. Listen, God has called us to know him, to make him known. Evangelism and outreach is at the heart of God. And if we're going to be a church after God's own heart, then it must be our heart too. A pastor protects the flock from uh, <clears throat> ineffective and fruitless ministry by organizing and planning. Man, you got a plan to go somewhere, right? Yeah. I love that TV commercial, you know, where you get to throw the red flag, the challenge flag. I, my favorite one's the two that were going camping. And she goes, did you pack the uh, life, you know, life? He goes, no, you were going to do it. She goes, no, I don't think so. He goes, well, I'm going to challenge. And I love that. That's so good. I especially love it when you said, of course I would. It was great. Anyway, John Ortberg says, God has entrusted us with the most precious treasure, people. People. He asks us to shepherd and to mold them into strong disciples with brave faith and good character. God's most precious commodity, brothers and sisters, is you. It's not this beautiful building. It's not this wonderful campus. It's you. And as a pastor, you are entrusted to us with a specific purpose and responsibility. Number Five? Four? All right, we'll get there. The director's hat is worn when discipling others to follow Christ and to serve him with their gifts. When pastors wear the director's hats, they seize an adventurous, daring enterprise to make disciples of all people. Woo! You can be a believer and not necessarily a disciple. A disciple is a person who is in the process of learning and, and pursuing. The last words of Jesus to his disciples included the command to make disciples. We are to grow and to know and to go. That's what disciples do. T-shirt worthy. Matthew 28 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And my friends, we can't go way over there to do what we're not willing to do right here. Loving on people, ministering to people, inviting people to come and hear about Jesus. And if and when they decide to follow him and receive him, then to love them, to guide them, to mentor them, all those wonderful things. Thus, in wearing the director's hat, pastors work to enroll as many people as possible in Christ's school to learn him. The school, wait a minute, my brain just slipped out of gear, hold on. The school of discipleship, that's right, that's right. Enrollment in Christ's school, it's open to anyone. God's always got open enrollment, amen? Amen. The tuition is paid in full. Guess what? Jesus paid it all. No, you leave this thing to me. 
The study material is plentiful. It has never been easier to be a disciple of Jesus Christ than it is right now. Material is available to you 24-7, anywhere, anyway, anyhow. And class sizes vary. You can have a big class, you can have small classes. But part of the pastor's role as a director is to get you enrolled and on the road to education. So what are some challenges to participation? I thought about it. And this isn't an exhaustive list, but it's a list. Understanding of need. Sometimes people don't understand what they need because they don't understand what they need, right? You don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know what you don't know, then you don't know what you need to know, right? There we go. Distraction. How about that? I'm just looking around to see who all's on their phone. Distraction. Yeah. Ronnie's on Facebook. You know it. Distraction. We are the most distracted generation in the world. Feeling of inadequacy. Well, I, you know, I mean, I could never learn that stuff. Or even worse than that is, what would God ever do with me anyway? Brothers and sisters, let me just say that's a lie out of the pit of hell. Because 18 years ago, my greatest struggle was inadequacy. The men I had served alongside had set such a standard for me, I thought I could never live up to them. And then, you know, now you want me to teach. Well, everyone, everyone wants to be Billy Graham. But God goes, I only made one of them, and you're not him. And if I'm being completely authentic, one of the challenges I faced was this. Would people really want to hear me with, with all this weirdness that I am? Feeling you know, inadequacies. They can, they can keep us from participation. Discouragement. Maybe life and circumstances uh, can discourage you. That can happen. Indifference. Maybe you just don't care. Put your hands in the air and wave them like you just don't care. Let me just say this. Not everybody goes to church cares to grow in their faith. And I will say this. There are going to be one of two things. Either they're going to be a problem maker or they're going to be leaving soon. That's what indifference does for you. Ooh, Jimmy, you're so mean. Um, pride, how about this? I think I've known it all. I think I got it. Well, whoo. Yeah, I don't have time for that one. A lack of vision. Can I say this? Wherever you are in your discipleship process, you can be better. Let me also say this. There's no limit for what God can do through a person who is available and teachable. How do I know? You're looking at one. God never promised that we would be pastor of, of the church. That Sunday, when that brother put his arm around me and goes, you know who should pastor this church? I thought he was going to sell himself to me because I had his application, I had his resume on the desk. And he goes, you. And I'm like, well, there's a whole backstory, but let me just say this. My lack of vision got crystal clear. Because on my drive back from where I was to church, I called my bride and I said, God has made it crystal clear that we are to make ourselves available. And that's what I said. You remember? That was the first night. 
Miss Kate, where are you at? There, you remember? God has said to make ourselves available. And this was our promise. That if we were who God intended, amen. But I did remind them, I don't have another bag. This is my only bag of tricks. But if we were not, that we would stay and faithfully serve until God's man arrived. That was our promise. And well, you know. So lack of vision can be overcame. Tiredness. How many people in here are tired? I heard a great, great saying once, the world's ran by tired people, amen? amen? Hey, we all tired. Don't use that as an excuse. We all tired. <laughs> Whew. Lastly, just laziness. We never get done what we just don't get done. There are a lot of challenges to being participants in the process. And as pastors, we're up against all these, and this is not all of them. And it can be a challenge. You know why? Because we wrestle with this too. Am I tired? Yeah. Do I feel a little indifferent every now and then? Well, sometimes about some things. I mean, uh, distracted? Squirrel! I mean, I was talking to my bride last night. I said, honey, where did my week go? I was on campus last night till after 8 o'clock. That's not normal. I'm here on Saturdays, normal, but not. I said, where did my week go? And we start recounting where my week went. I go, okay, you know, listen, that's the way life go. Huh? Say, I, I, I would pull out the ministry card and trump him, but I'm not that kind of guy. There's a lot of reasons that you and I, as your pastor, wrestle with. It, it, it just is, and it's, it's where we are. We, we understand those things. Uh, oh, and public opinion, but that goes without saying. The answer to participation is simply personal choice. One of the challenges that I've had to learn over the years is sometimes I have to say no to something good to be able to say yes to the best. And I'm like that girl from the musical Oklahoma. I'm just the girl who can't say no. I want everyone to like me. And every group's better if I'm in it. Oh, you want me to what? You want me to be the chief fundraiser for the Girl Scouts? Okay. I have come to find out that when you work for free, you're never looking for work. I've had to remind myself that um, I have 24 hours in a day, and now at 57, my energy isn't quite what it was 18 years ago. That hurts my feelings a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I, I've had to you know, realize that uh, the answer to participation is personal choices. And sometimes, as hard as it is, I have to say no to something to be able to say yes to something. And I have to be reminded, we all have to be reminded, what, what has God called us to do? And we need to put that way up here, way up here. And, uh, and other things find their, their water level. And so part of the challenge of the multiple hats that pastors wear is to try and keep themselves in tune with God and to help you find your in tune with God and remain in tune. 
because all of you have challenges and weaknesses and fears and strengths and all these. I mean, look around this room. Look at it. You, you guys look over at those people. And you guys look at those people. And if you don't recognize one of these people, catch them on the way out and go, hey, man, I don't know. And now let's all just look at them because it'll make them feel weird. <laughs> but it's a, it's a great thing. It's a great thing. We're all in this, we're all in this mess together. Amen? And uh, we're working and we're striving. And uh, as your pastor, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful job. It's a beautiful responsibility. It's a beautiful privilege. And I want you to know it's not one that I take lightly. Um, I, I love you with all of my heart. And um, I'm just so thankful that I get to be a part of your lives. And, and some of you guys have been afflicted with me a lot longer than 18 years. So let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for today. And Lord, we thank you for the role of pastor. And Lord, I think of the, the wonderful men that hold that title in my life. Father, I just thank you for Brother Dewey Davidson who proclaimed the word, Lord, and, and called me to salvation. Father, I thank you for Brother Ken Johannan, who loved me enough to time and time again whisper the words, hey, Jimmy, file this away. And showed me what it was like to be a husband and a father in ministry. And what it meant to do it for the love of the game. Father, I thank you for Kelly Carr. Who taught me that leadership is a privilege with great responsibility. And that leaders are learners. Father, I thank you for Dwight Hunt. Lord, who helped me to see beyond what I was because of my insecurities to what I could be. Father, I thank you for the men who were called pastor here before me. Lord, they had their challenges as we all do. But Lord, each one gave something to the platform that the little ALF stands upon today. Father, I thank you for Jeff Phillips, Lord, who stood in the gap and carried the load in difficult days, but had your vision and your heart. Father, I thank you for Chris Otto, who gave so much for so long. Father, I thank you for Josh Slinkard. Lord, a man after your own heart. Father, I thank you for Chuck. Lord, just a man who loves you and wants to be a part of what you're doing. And Father, I thank you for the deacons that I've had the privilege of serving alongside of all these years. I thank you for them precious, each and every one, Lord, who gave, who served, who answered the call in humility. Father, just as the turtle on top of a fence post declares, 
he didn't get there alone. Father, reaching a milestone of 18 years, Father, I didn't get here alone. And I thank you for each and every one, Lord, for the countless men and women. Father, I thank you for their for their Christ-likeness, Lord, that have made the difficult hours less than what they could have been. And Lord, who have made the wonderful hours more than what they were. Father, we just thank you for this local expression of your church. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you have given to us over these 18 years. God, you have done exceedingly and abundantly more than we ever could have imagined. And God, I just thank you for the privilege of being a part of it. God, you have done more than I ever could have imagined. And I thank you so much for not allowing my insecurities to rob me of the privilege. Father, I pray that you would continue to guard and to provide for this beautiful fellowship and that the work of the little ALF will go on faithfully and in strength until you come for us. And Father, we will give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.